This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. One, two, three. Today we have a really, really, really special guest, Janae Sharp. She is a health IT maven. She works on interoperability of EHR systems, but that's not why we have her on the show because that would put me to sleep. It needs to happen, <laughs> but it's boring. What is not boring is what Janae has been through and her family has been through in terms of suffering a horrible tragedy. Uh, her husband, John, um, committed suicide. He was a physician. And as a result, Janae has had her life transformed, the, the, the lives of her family transformed, and she has made it her cause to make sure that people who are suffering uh, with uh, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, especially in healthcare, get the help they need, and we never have a tragedy like this happen again. Uh, Janae Sharp. Hi. What is up, girl? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So I wanted to rewind because there's a lot of stuff you're doing now, but I wanted to rewind to what happened with John. John was a writer and a musician and an idealist, and he always wanted to be a doctor. But medical school isn't fun at all. I remember that, yeah. I can vouch for that. Yeah. And um, after the first year, he actually was like, I don't know if I want to do this. This is so much debt. I don't really like this. But he already had his master's, and he had done work. And he just started getting angry. And I wasn't really sure where things were, you know? And he kept going. Did, did you have children at that time? Yeah, we had yeah. three. We had two children at that time. Yeah. So John started talking about um, like he was having disturbing thoughts and he was angry. Um, he was having a really hard time accepting everything. And he died. I don't know, that's not really a good way to say it. There's no good way to say it. Like when you meet people and they're like, oh, you have these three kids you're raising. Oh, like is there dad in their life? And you're like, oh no, he's dead. Wow. Like, there's never a good yeah. way to say it, you know? Like, yeah. it's just, like, so awkward. Um, how, how did he die? He died by suicide, self-immolation. So I don't always talk about that. You know what? My sister came over, and she's like, you need to tell your kids. This is two days later. So I've been, like, talking to a counselor about how to tell your kids and, like, how to handle it. And... uh 
Oh my gosh, I didn't think I would cry. Um, yeah, you're making me emotional now. So she's like, you need to tell him today. Because I didn't realize how bad I, had wa I was um, in terms of just like, they're like, what's wrong, mom? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it, you know? So she comes over and she's like, I'm going to be here and you're going to tell your kids. I don't tell this story very often, <laughs> clearly. Um, so I sat him down and um, Danielle was in second grade and Andrew was not even two. And I was like, well, you know, dad's been sick because he was struggling. Um, and he died. And then I screwed it up. Because <laughs> they're like, how'd he die? I don't know if we want to talk about this too much. They're like, he died in a fire. I just blurted it out. I was like, he died in a fire. And I was like, oh my God, I handled this wrong. Like I told my kids that their dad died in a fire. Like, and then John's mom told him that he died in a car wreck because nobody wanted to say. Yeah, what happened? He ended his own life with a fire in a car in a parking lot. And it wasn't until years later that I, we were going to enter like a support group, well, one year later, and I had to tell him that he ended his own life, that his mind was sick and because they're very young. So I asked a professional, like, I'm not, like, how do you tell a kid their dad's dead and that he killed himself? Anyway, so I told him they, they were sad, you know? But then, you know what's interesting? My daughter goes, no wonder you've been so sad the past few days. And she's like, I know you love dad and, and you love us. And she's also sarcastic and funny, by the way. I'll tell you someday about our puberty talk. <laughs> I'm still waiting to have mine. I was like, who's gonna do the puberty not, talk actually, with the boys? Because I hope it's not me, because, oh God, I thought their doctor father could do that. Mm. Talk about that. A lot mm. of times with suicide, um, People say if you committed suicide or if you die by suicide, and they talk a lot about the semantics there. And I think a lot of that is to understand the trauma. Like it's really traumatic. Mm. Um, but we like got a call, we were at the gym, like I was about to go to swim, and uh, just got a call that they found his car. So oh, I don't think you knew that. No, I didn't know that, yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, it was really confusing sorting out the situation and mental illness and wondering if I understood something. But more than that, it was confusing because I was doing this and I still had three children. Like mm. no one really, I mean, you have three kids to take care of and that's number one. So I didn't ever, no one thinks that will happen. Mm. But it also felt like you're not really sure how that's even possible. Yeah. Like how someone could 
even do that. Even amongst like medical professionals that I've talked to, it's pretty rare. Um, and that's kind of why I decided, well, for several years, two years, he's been, he hasn't been dead for three years yet. I didn't really talk about it with people, mm. um, partially because I was a, a mess, mm. but also because it was a lot. It's a lot to handle for people. And I wasn't sure how to talk about it. Mm. Um, but I think most physicians know someone who has died by suicide. And there's a reason for that, if you think about it. First of all, you never get to sleep because you're on call. And the work that a physician does is stressful. Where, where was John in his training when he died? John was going to start residency in pathology. Hmm. So he had done some work in infectious disease with the cost analysis of the BioWatch program, if mm. you're familiar with them, um, which is fascinating stuff. Yeah, it like is. super fascinating stuff. Yeah. But I mean, did you notice when this, when he was going through medical school, were there things that you were noticing about how he was behaving or thinking or feeling that might have, in retrospect, you said, oh, I saw something there? Um, you know, I wouldn't say there was one thing mm. that, oh my gosh, I should have seen that. John loved studying medicine mm. and he would talk about death or Agatha Christie's book, Saving Someone's Life Because They Knew About Thymine Poisoning, mm. you know? And I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, you know a lot about poison. Mm. You know, you know a lot about dying. Um, and that fascination mm. maybe should have tipped stuff off. But you know, then again, you think he was going into pathology. He's going, yeah, he's going into pathology. Like he's a disease guy. Right. And um, because I, I'll tell you, there's so many people out there that are watching that are going, how do I recognize the signs? It's impossible in so many cases to actually see it except in hindsight. Right. Yeah, and reframe it. I think it's hard though too because people, I mean, Lots of people like Dexter. Lots of yeah. people like watching murder shows. And like lots of people like video games. I don't actually think they're the reason, yeah. you know, violence happens. Right. Um, the one sign that I should not have ignored, mm. um, that I did not probably handle well because I'm not, I wasn't familiar with this area. He did talk about wanting to die. Mm. Um, and feeling trapped. Mm. And in medicine, when doctors hear those kind of jokes mm -hmm. from their coworkers or from each other, or even when they think it, that doesn't always trigger the same alert or yeah. the same level of concern. That would happen if a patient said that. Yeah. If your patient came in and was like, I just I was dead. Like you immediately go and say, do you have a plan? Like, mm -hmm. what's going on there? Mm -hmm. But when we're talking with each other, we don't. Like, we, we joke around about it all the time. Everything <laughs> you've said about John's behavior in medical school, you could have said about mine. 
Yeah. It was, you could have swapped it one for I'm one. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I mean, I am here. Yeah. But I tell you, I went through periods where I, it was for all the reasons that you mentioned, I think, and you've talked about in articles and things about the, the depersonalization, the high um, pressure, the idea that we don't have much autonomy, the idea that there's a suck it up culture that's like you don't talk about it. Yeah. And you're worried about licensing. So if you go seek help for mental illness, you're worried you're going to get dinged on your license. So for all those reasons, we keep it inside. And right. I found, so I would have these recurrent thoughts of killing myself in medical school. And there's just these flashes, like how easy it would be to do X, Y, or Z. I wouldn't have to go around and be humiliated in front of the attending. I wouldn't have to feel so incompetent. Every day I go into San Francisco General in the face of this immense human suffering that I take on as my own, and you talk about cognitive empathy and affective empathy and all those yeah. things. So all of that hit home for me because that's how I felt. And then you don't tell anyone, and either you get through it because you're not getting help, or you don't. And I found out fourth year of medical school when we had this big party, everyone got together pre-graduation, everybody felt the same way. Yeah. Like we were all suffering. Nobody leaned on each other. And that was the biggest tragedy. I realized then, now this is this, how do we change this? Right, and I think a lot of physicians too, mm. they don't go into healthcare to become billionaires. Correct. Because in today's world, you could make more money in business, and you will. They're going into healthcare because they want to heal. Because they're so connected, because they take problems as their own, because yeah. maybe they're, they're, there's, a, there's a blindness that happens too. When yeah. you're that depressed, or there's substance abuse, or there's emotional exhaustion, you're actually a little more blind then to what your patients... You are. You're less likely to recognize depression in your patients and things like that. Yeah, they've had also a lot of studies that have talked about your medical error rates go through the roof if you have someone who's, who is suffering from burnout or yeah. who is depressed. Um, and it's that ability inside to still be able to engage with your patients, but maintain a complete sense of self. Yeah. And to really acknowledge and respect the work that you're doing, which is incredibly stressful. Mm. Like, Yeah, but if you're comparing yourself to the guy, the next guy in class, or the guy who right. seems to have it a little more together. It's like on Facebook, you look at everyone's lives look perfect. That's how it is in medical school. I'll tell you right. this is personal experience. I would look at this guy or that guy or this lady or this lady, and I'd go, they know what they're doing. I feel like shit. I'm falling apart. What's wrong with me? And that achievement mindset then comes to bite you in the ass. It does. And, and so just from personal experience, that was a huge problem. But what... You know what, what people don't talk about a lot are the survivors of suicide and what actually happened. So when you found out, you got that call, you have three children, and were you working at that time? Or? I was, I yeah. was working in sales for software actually, with a wow. patient engagement company. Nice. Um, yeah, I really liked it, it was yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, I quit that job, by the way. Um, but when you first find out, it's pretty overwhelming. Like the first few days, I got over a thousand calls a day. Wow. Was that helpful? I don't really remember it. Yeah. I literally, my friend came over and she was like screening calls. So like one of the medical students, um, I mean, they were all in residency now. Because mm. um, John like was struggling for a year before he died. Mm. Um, 
She talked to all of them. So, and then there was one family member people called. And it was really overwhelming. And within that first week, I also started getting like hit up for like involvement or money from people involved in suicide prevention. I know a lot of good people in that field. And most people involved in suicide prevention have lost a loved one. Right. But that's part of it. Most of the people involved have lost a loved one. And the number one funder is survivors. So that was frustrating. Wow, so you've just had this loss. It was so frustrating, but also I do have to say, you like, understand I also have, like, those people who supported me yeah. helped me through because they understood it. Right. But there's also this other side of some people who are just there and they support you, but they're also like, oh, and you can give us money. Mm. Um, mm. But I broke down. Like, I did, I'm like a good example of a bad way to cope. Mm. How so? Probably. Because you seem fairly together. Oh. I blow dried my hair this morning. That's, That's good. That's more than I did. Speaking of badges, so can I ask a practical question? John dies. Financially, the life insurance, does it cover? Um, so life insurance is interesting because no, in my no. case. Wow. Um, that sucked. So you paid all those premiums? Well, it depends on how old and what type of plan you have. I see. Um, yeah. Because after several years, I think it becomes more easy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but like it's a newer plan. Suicide is something that is excluded in life insurance plans. Mm. Also, suicide, they've done, they've done lots of interesting studies about how you get less donations from like a GoFundMe. Like it's less financially, I don't know how you would, rewarding? Remunerative. Like what's the, yeah, remuneration yeah. in a suicide death is low. Is there a component where people feel like blame has to be assigned to the victim? Um, I think suicide is very complex and a lot of things go into it. But if you look at religions, Mm. A lot of religions have had suicide as a sin. Mm. And culturally, we don't know where to put suicide mm. because we say, are they responsible for it? Are they not responsible for it? People who have been impacted by a suicide loss, first of all, they're more likely to die by suicide. And second of all, they have a lot of trauma symptoms like PTSD. Yeah. But, you know, so do people going through medical school, medical school, so. So what do you think, do you think? I think people don't know how to process it mm. and don't know where to put it. Mm. And when we have something that we don't understand, we try not to look at it. You, you now are this, you know, tremendously confident career person, work in health IT to try to bridge gaps, have a foundation, not-for-profit that you've started? Yes, um, we started the Sharp Index, which has measurement tools. It's 
not, we're going to do more being able to provide better information and better support mm. to physicians and to their families. Um, and you can go find out about burnout, take a quiz. We all love online quizzes. So part of it is my love of online quizzes. Mm. Um, but you can get information about your burnout. But also if you have symptoms of depression, so we're, we screen for some of those things as well. And you, the SHARP Index also has a mission of providing that care for physicians. The support that seems yeah. to be missing, yeah. Having those tools, changing the medical industrial complex and fixing workflow, all those things, you know, if you're working too long and you can't be healthy, those take years. Yeah. But we want to work on those things. Yeah. Right now, we're also working on helping people understand tools for now. Yeah. Like, what do I do when I don't want to get out of bed and I go through my list of ways that I could kill myself as a physician today? Mm. What do I do? You get up. You get out of bed. You don't kill yourself. Surprisingly, even though that's easy to say, mm. people need that support. Mm. So it's also an online um, guided support groups with, it's separate from healthcare systems. Mm. We, we know healthcare systems, we, we love them. Some of them have sponsored care. Mm. Um, but, some, but it's important from a medical standpoint that you can have mental health support, not from your boss. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This idea that we're afraid we're going to be pinged at, dinged at work, we're going to lose our license. And you will be. And you will be. <laughs> you will that's be. That's the thing because our culture is so screwed up. And that's what infuriates me because it costs lives. It actually costs lives because yeah. people are afraid. Everybody has this culture of suck it up and we've all, we're all going, you know, it, it's a toughening up process to be a doctor. And if you can't hack it, you're just not good enough. That's just absolutely wrong. Right. And, the, and the other thing I think that, that I think your story really struck home for me is this idea that we treat, how do we talk to people who survive? And, and it's so like, are you on kid, using kid gloves? Are you dancing on eggshells? Or saying nothing. Are you saying nothing? If someone starts to cry, what do you do? Do you go, ah, or do you listen? Or are you there for them? These are questions that we struggle with in, in, in the people who survive struggle with it. Right. Here's, here's a question though. I was angry too. Were you? Oh. I feel like this whole thing kind of came from me being angry. I'm like, I don't want to just do I don't want to do nothing. Like, I don't mm. want to sing Kumbaya and do yoga with mm. you guys. Although I do actually want to sing Kumbaya and do yoga. However, I wanted it to be more. Yeah. Something where we're looking at how many hours are these physicians spending in the EHR yeah. records? Like, how long are you actually notating? What happens to your brain if you only sleep four hours a night for a year or two? Like, heaven forbid, <laughs> it took you getting pissed off to actually start to address these things. And look, I look, I cheated. I looked at some of your slides from your talk that were available on the HIMSS website. And I was blown away by the amount of 
detail and meticulousness that you actually apply to this. The EHR, even though it's a problem, it's a scapegoat. Yeah. in your mind, and I agree. I think it is too, it's yeah. a proxy. It's a proxy for the regulation, yeah. for the, uh, regulation. the insurance stuff, the government stuff. Lack of autonomy, Lack of they're autonomy. telling you exactly what to do. So what you said was an interesting thing. You said there's some data that shows that writing longhand uses different parts of your brain and activates different circuits than typing in a computer. So what if we wrote longhand in an EHR that recognized it? or? Yeah wrote longhand and then dictated or whatever it is. Now here's an interesting thing. This triggered something in me because the way I used to work at Stanford when I was full-time hospital medicine is I had a clipboard. Now we were fully on Epic, all right? I mean, it was like flying a space shuttle, all this useless information and then the one thing that I need. But I would carry this clipboard and I had all my patients handwritten out and I put the sticker on there because I needed the bill and I needed the medical record number so I could put it in Epic. Because it's your jobby job. You that's should be my, getting paid. That's how I get paid. That's what I you do. You have is one I, job. I click the boxes. One job. <laughs> and so to do that. If it isn't on social media, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. To do that, I had my clipboard and I would write every the story right. of the patient. I would make little diagrams when I saw the patient. I would put little exclamation points when I thought something was important. Then I looked at that and I synthesized my note right. after the fact. And that's how I worked. And it worked every, it worked so much better than if I just went to the computer and wrote a note or if I was typing as I was going. Because then I was like this. So what are your allergies, bro? Uh, when you write something by hand, you have better memory of it, better recall. It seemed to be with, the case. With teaching back in the day, a million years ago, when I got, after I got married, I finished school, like my degree was teaching. Oh. Um, so with some people, if they have like a learning disability, it helps them to write things out. Mm -hmm. So the physical act of writing things out has better retention. Yeah. Um, and then also telling someone and explaining to them will help you remember more. So in the case of patient care, if you're a physician writing it out, will help you give better care to that patient because mm -hmm. you'll remember them more. Mm -hmm. And explaining it to someone else will yeah. also help that. But it's another step, it takes more time, and if we're not allowed to do it, that's another pressure on our autonomy and our sense of accomplishment right. and achievement, and all those things. Or if you have completely illegible handwriting. But I can read it, so if I take the notes for me, 90% of the battle. So <laughs> It's all here, it's inside, all, in the EHR in my brain. It is. So guys, if you, I mean, I gotta say this, I'm excited that you are out there in the world turning what was a very personal tragedy into something that is gonna do good for a lot of people. There are people who are watching now who are gonna say, I recognize these signs and symptoms in myself, I recognize these signs and symptoms in my loved one, I will not let what happened to John happen to X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And, and I think that is, a beautiful gift that you have made out of something that is so unimaginably horrible that I think that's part of the problem is we don't even want to imagine it and we need to we need to someone needs to hold our eyes open like this like clockwork orange and see what is happening right in front of us so that it doesn't happen again and yeah. I, I want to thank you Janae because you have a a way about you that's so beautiful that people are gonna connect with it and they're gonna take it with them and they're gonna help people and thank you so much for everything you do. Thanks. Any parting words? I really wanted to create a better legacy for my kids. Like a memory where sometimes if someone tragically dies, you have a fun set up and you have a memory. And 
I want them to know that their dad died and he died from an illness. I mean, we don't have all the information. Everybody wants to blame. Maybe it's the system, maybe it's mental illness, maybe it's drugs, who knows what you can blame. But I want them to know that it's just as important and they can have a space of healing just like everyone else. And physicians need to know that the most important part of taking care of patients is making sure you're responsible in taking care of yourself. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithms to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.